Here now is Chris Hedges. Uh, before I begin the talk, I hope you've all been following uh, what's been happening in the United States about Syria, um, because it is an absolutely seminal moment uh, in modern American history, when all of the dead rhetoric of war and all of the standard tactics of manipulation by the war makers fell flat on its face. If you watched what happened when they tried to justify, and if you looked, I don't know if you know, but the idea was to drop several hundred Tomahawk missiles all over Syria. Each Tomahawk missile carries a 1,000 pound iron fragmentation bomb or 166 cluster bombs. Um, so you're talking about massive numbers of civilian dead. Um, the object, of course, um, uh, being that as the rebel movements were losing, they want to recreate a balance on the battlefield, so as was the policy in the Iran-Iraq war, the Syrians will just tear each other to pieces. That, by the way, is the policy. It has nothing to do with poison gas or human rights or anything else. Um, and so they uh, provided us with the requisite uh, atrocity videos. They uh, warned us that the dictator was going to use the weapons of mass destruction against us if we didn't respond. Uh, they appealed to the noble sacrifice of World War II. Kerry called it a Munich moment and referred to the graves of Normandy, and none of it worked. Uh, it didn't work internationally and it didn't work domestically. And I think that the moment that we have reached in the United States, which is an important moment, especially for those of us who seek to challenge the system is that as we saw after 10 years of the war in Vietnam, people have woken up to the myth or the lie that they have been told. <laughs> that while we are making uh, General Dynamics, General Electric incredibly wealthy, their stocks of course have all quadrupled since 9-11, uh, we are having a debate in the House of Representatives about cutting food stamps. This in a country where 40 million children go to bed every night without enough to eat. Um, and uh, I, I think that, that, I mean, something's coming. I know something's coming because it's always the ruling elite that determines the uh, configurations of rebellion um, and the inability on the part of the ruling elite to respond rationally to what's happening, uh, the decision not to extend uh, unemployment benefits, the assault on Head Start, it's insane. Um, and in this sense, Karl Marx was right. Unfettered, unregulated capitalism is a revolutionary force. It has no self-imposed limits. Uh, it commodifies everything. Human beings become commodities. The natural world becomes a commodity that it exploits until exhaustion or collapse. And that is the forces that we are up against. And uh, and what happened? I mean, what happened? How did it happen? And it took me back to World War I. Now, World War I, especially in the United States, was a pivotal moment because on the eve of World War I, believe it or not, in the United States, we had powerful, progressive, populist, radical, socialist, um, anarchist, communist movements. And um, I think what many people forget is that the labor wars in the United States were by far the bloodiest uh, within any industrialized nation. Hundreds of workers lost their lives. Thousands more were wounded. Tens of thousands uh, were blacklisted, uh, pushed out of their jobs. And um, 
on the eve of the war, uh, these movements had finally cornered the robber baron class, the Carnegies, the Mellons, the Rockefellers, who had hired their private militias, their gun thugs and Pinkertons, uh, to kill workers. Uh, and there becomes this fascinating intellectual debate. And I went into the um, archives at Princeton University um, where they have all of Wilson's papers and was reading the, the internal debates uh, in the circles of power between Wilson and Walter Lippmann, who is an extremely important intellectual figure uh, for modernity um, and a grand inquisitor type figure, undoubtedly brilliant. And, and his book, Public Opinion, is a kind of blueprint for control. That's where the term uh, or the process of manufacturing consent comes from. When Chomsky and Herman write their book on the press in 1991, they take it from Lippmann's public opinion, the manufacturing consent. And Lippmann argues with Wilson that because there's no support for the war and because Wall Street is essentially shoving the war down the throats of Americans, what happens with the collapse of the Eastern Front uh, and with the collapse of Tsarist Russia is that the Kaiser is able to transfer 51 divisions over to the Western Front. And if you remember, right before the Americans arrived, there's, there was a huge push where they actually broke through and began to gain significant ground. Uh, and Wall Street understood that if the British and the French were defeated, then the massive amounts of loans uh, that they had given to the British and the French would never be repaid. Um, so once again, Wall Street is pushing the hand of an isolationist president who in 1916, when he ran for re-election as his slogan, his slogan was he kept us out of the war. And Wilson is frantic. You can see it in the, in the dialogues back and forth because he knows the country doesn't support war, doesn't want to go to war. And he, and he wants to use the Espionage Act and the Sedition Act, the harsher forms of control, to essentially keep the populace in line. And Lippmann argues, no, we don't have to use, we'll have to use them against the radicals, against those people who hold out. But we can seduce the population into backing the war effort. We can employ the understanding of crowd psychology pioneered by LeBon, Trotter, and finally Sigmund Freud uh, to uh, seduce the masses uh, into getting behind the war effort. And Lippmann wins that argument. And they create the Committee for Public Information, headed by George Creel, former muckraking journalist. Suddenly they have uh, speakers bureaus, 45,000 speakers fanning out across the country. They have their own news division that every day is churning out pro-war stories. Um, and you can't publish in the United States unless you support the war. The masses shuts down for the duration of the war because of it. Appeal to reason. A socialist journal with the fourth highest circulation in the country takes a pro-war stance. Uh, they have their own film division out of Hollywood, which is making movies like The Kaiser, The Butcher of Berlin. Um, and it works. Graphic artists, everything comes to be employed. And when you read Randolph Bourne or Jane Addams, two really great radical figures of the period, their despair is not just how easily the country was seduced behind the war effort, but how swiftly the intellectual or dissident class uh, started cheering for the war effort. And I had a personal experience with this, with a Canadian who you might know, uh, Michael Ignatiev, uh, at the start of the Iraq War, 
Um, I've known Michael for years, and I mean, to be fair, I like Michael. I don't, it's not a personal thing. Um, but on the day Bush invaded Iraq, uh, I was on uh, national public radio on a program called Fresh Air, uh, and I was given my 12 minutes to argue about why we should not go to war with Iraq. And I knew that there would be a counterweight, a counter-response, but I didn't know who it was until I heard it on the radio, and it was Michael. And um, that period, and if you had the fear of 9-11 and you know, playing into it, the collective humiliation of the attacks of 9-11, was similarly a very lonely period to stand up against the war in the United States. Um, the only two times in this country that I have received um, you know, several death threats were standing up against that war. In fact, when I would come into the New York Times, my phone bank would be full of these absolutely vitriolic messages, anonymous letters. Um, and um, the second time is when I attacked the black bloc. We can talk about that later. Um, but this moment is really important because what happened is you created the first system of modern mass propaganda. And once the war was over, all these people went to Madison Avenue and started working on behalf of corporations to upend traditional values about thrift, self-effacement, and instill within us the cult of the self, hedonism, the consumer society, the attempt to identify ourselves with brands. And I think when we talk about you know, American culture at this point, what we're really talking about is corporate culture. We're talking about corporate values that were manufactured assiduously by the public relations industry. If you, if you scratch the surface of America, we are, in a, you know, a really, a, you know, I mean, we have an empire because we produce the most efficient killers on the planet.